on to Carl and Jesse. Mask. Yes, thank you. I'm one of Carl and Jesse. Hi, everyone. I'm Jesse of Carl and Jesse. How are you? We're Carl and Jesse. We're married. I don't know if you, know, some of you know us, some of, I, some of us know you, and there are some of you that I've never gotten to meet before. So just by way of introduction, uh, Carl yes? is a pastor at large oh. here at Central Vineyard Church. Um, on staff and, and uh, for a long time, and now not on staff, but still a pastor here. And I've been here this whole time as well, um, in the past couple of years, mostly online, um, at home, um, especially with our four-year-old. Um, but uh, we're really, really grateful to have this chance to be together with you this morning to talk about the Book of Ruth. And we're not just going to talk about the Book of Ruth for one week, as Eve noted, uh, before we're going to be here with you for three weeks, and we're going to unpack the book of Ruth in several different ways. You've, so you've got us for three Sundays. It, it has four, four chapters, but we're only doing three Sundays, so we cut three it down. Sundays. We cut it down. Four chapters, three quarters of Sundays to, to chapters. Um, yes, so um, just on the not knowing you part, like I hope that we get a chance to to, to talk and get to know one another if, if we haven't had the chance um, between times and after sessions and so forth as well. So this is um, just a, a real gift to be able to be with you and um, to offer this opportunity and to open up this book. Um, so this uh, time that we're, that we're uh, talking about Ruth is a part of this ongoing series that we're doing at Central Vineyard around the genealogy of Jesus, this amazing kind of rare opportunity to really delve into and explore the stories of the people who, like, who made the genealogy of Jesus possible, right, who came before Jesus. And um, this morning, the, the approach that we're going to take is actually really inspired, I think, by Jeff and by our own history and our own experience. So um, Jeff um, has really inspired us, uh, us and us collectively, to look at Scripture in big chunks, right, as opposed to just sort of pulling out single, uh, single passages with tweezers and examining them. Instead, we look at uh, Scripture in context, we absorb, we, we take time to steep in the Scripture, um, and um, that's really exciting. And something that's really interesting about Ruth is that it is both very digestible, like you could sit down and you could read it. And in fact, we're going to be ex exploring the whole story this morning. Um, but it's also um, kind of longer than a lot of the stories of people in the genealogy of Jesus get. It's, it's a whole book of the Bible. It's four chapters. And so one of the things we're going to be taking taking advantage of is, is the fact that this story is neither too big nor too small. It's just right. Um, <laughs> and, um, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to sit with it, to allow it to roll over our minds in all kinds of different ways. You heard Eve um, telling the story for children, um, and we're going to actually tell the story um, here for you as well this morning for grown-ups and, and children at heart. Um, yeah, we're going to do the, f the full text of Ruth. Um, 
Jesse was saying earlier, you know, we have storytelling backgrounds ourselves. Jesse and I have been involved in theater for a long time and then just storytelling mm -hmm. as well. And so we found the message version of the book of Ruth is written uh, as very much as a story uh, that would be told. And of course, the book of Ruth itself would have been told as a story, as an oral history, as a, as a part of the oral tradition. So we're going to inherit that. We're going to kind of interpret the whole thing for you guys here this morning. And we're interested in how, like, performance and storytelling and um, sort of exploring something from the beginning to the end opens it up in a new way for us. So one of the things we're really interested in this morning is um, not setting up for you a bunch of questions or themes or ideas that, that we want you to pay attention to, but we're interested in the ways that, that the story itself invites you personally to pay attention to it this morning. And when we say we're interested in how this hits you this morning, we mean very literally, after we present the story, we're going to really life, really ask you questions uh, about what, you've, what, what struck you, and we might have you talk to each other, depending on time, and share back what the Lord is speaking to you in the story here today. We're telling you now so you can kind of get used to the idea, uh, and then we'll ask you again at the very end. And just uh, a note, um, Eve uh, beautifully uh, rendered the first part of the story uh, here, par uh, paraphrasing and, and, uh, and turning, turning to the, the tenets of the, the early part of the story, we're going to be using the text from the message version of the Bible for the book of Ruth. Did you, you, said, I did. you said this. I'm just repeating it for, the, for those who didn't hear. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and we're hoping that our conversation at the end can actually serve as kind of a foundation for us over the coming Sundays to explore and to, to think about what's most important to us um, about, this, about this passage. So today is about experiencing, absorbing, and sharing together our thoughts as they emerge as a community. God, will you um, bless the reading of your word? Uh, be with us as we share, be with us as we listen. Um, thank you for being a, a storytelling God and for the story of your people from the first day to today. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when judges led Israel, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem and Judah left home to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi. Their two sons were named Malon and Kilian, all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. They lived there in Moab for 10 years. And then the two sons, Malon and Kilian, died. Now the woman was left without either her young men or her husband. One day, she got herself together. She and her two daughters-in-law 
to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. For she had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And so she started out from the place that she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her, on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, go back, go home and live with your mothers, and may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. She kissed them, and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going back with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters. On your way, please. I'm too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there's still hope and this very night got a man and had sons, can you imagine waiting until they were grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No, dear daughters. This is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter for me than you. God has dealt me a hard blow. Again, they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and God's Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I'll go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. And your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself will come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, She gave in. And so the two traveled on together to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was buzzing. Is this really our Naomi? And after all this time. But she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life, and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one has ruined me. And so Naomi was back. And Ruth, the foreigner, with her. Back from the country of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. One day, Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work. I'm going to glean among the sheaves following after some harvester who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, go ahead, dear daughter. And so she set out. She went and started gleaning in the field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up in the part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law Elimelech's relative. A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem, greeting his harvesters. God be with you. Oh, and they replied, and God bless you. Boaz asked his young servant who was foreman over the farmhands, who is this young woman, and where did she come from? The foreman said, why, that's the Moabite girl. 
the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab, she asked permission. Let me glean, she said, and gather among the sheaves left by your harvesters. She's been at it steady ever since, from early morning until now, without so much as a break. Then Boaz spoke to Ruth. Listen, my daughter, from now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one and stay close to my young women. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go and drink from the water buckets the servants have filled. She dropped to her knees, then bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly? Me, a foreigner. Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you. Heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband, and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, and have come to live amongst a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done, and with a generous bonus besides from God, to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. She replied, Oh, sir, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here. At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some bread, drink, dip it in the wine. So she joined the harvesters. Boaz passed the roasted grain to her. She ate her fill and even had some left over. When she got up to go back to work, Boaz ordered his servants, Let her glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground. Make it easy for her. Be better still, pull some of the good stuff out and leave it for her to glean. Give her a special treatment. Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. When she threshed out what she had gathered, she had a full sack of barley. She gathered up her gleanings, went back to town, and showed her mother-in-law the results of her day's work. She also gave her the leftovers from her day's lunch. Naomi asked her, so where did you glean today? Whose field? God bless whoever it was who took such good care of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, the man with whom I worked today, his name is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, why God bless that man. God hasn't quite worked, walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. Naomi went on, Ruth, that man is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. Ruth, the Moabitess, said, well, listen to this. He also told me, stick with my workers until my harvesting is finished. Naomi said to Ruth, that's wonderful, dear daughter. Do that. You'll be safe in the company of his young women. No danger now of being raped in some stranger's field. So Ruth did it. She stuck close to Boaz's young women, gleaning in the fields until both the barley and the wheat harvesting were finished. And she continued living with her mother-in-law. One day, her mother-in-law Naomi said to Ruth, my dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you hmm. so you can have a happy life? And isn't Boaz a close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest on the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up, and go to the threshing floor. 
but don't let her know you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and go there. Lay at his feet to let him know you're available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it just as you've told me. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz had a good time. Eating and drinking his fill, he felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. What in the world? There's a woman asleep at his feet. He said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers. You do have the right to marry me. He said, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love, and when you could have had your pick of any of the young men around. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everyone in town knows what a courageous woman you are, a real prize. You're right, I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. So stay the rest of the night. In the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. Now, go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and she wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth was on the threshing floor. So Boaz said, bring the shawl you're wearing and spread it out. She spread it out and he poured it full of barley. Six measures. He put it on her shoulders and then she went back to town. When she came back to town, her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked, And how did things go, my dear daughter? Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, And he gave me all this barley besides, six quarts. He told me, You can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, Sit back and relax, my dear daughter, until we find out how things turn out. This man isn't going to waste any time. Mark my words. He's going to get everything wrapped up today. Boaz went straight to the public square and took his place there. Before long, the closer relative, the one Boaz mentioned earlier, strolled by. Step aside, old friend, said Boaz. Take a seat. So the man sat down. Boaz then gathered ten of the town elders together and said, Sit down here with us. We've got some business to take care of. Ah, and they sat down. Boaz then said to his relative, the piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech is being sold by his widow Naomi, who has just returned from the country of Moab. I thought you ought to know about it. 
Buy it back if you want. You can make it official here in the uh, presence of those sitting here and before the town elders. You have first redeemer rights. If you don't want it, tell me and I'll know where I stand. You're the first in line to do this, and I'm next after you. He said, I'll buy it. Then Boaz added, you realize, don't you, that when you buy the field from Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite, the widow of our dead relative, along with the Redeemer responsibility to have children with her to carry on the family inheritance. Then the relative said, oh, I can't do that. I'd jeopardize my own family's inheritance. You go ahead and buy it. You can have my rights. I can't do it. In olden times in Israel, this is how they handled official business regarding matters of property and inheritance. A man would take off his shoe and hand it to the other person. This was the same as an official seal or signature in Israel. So when Boaz's redeemer relative said, go ahead and buy it, he signed the deal by taking off his shoe. Boaz then addressed the elders and all the people in the town square that day. You are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech and Kilian and Malone, including responsibility for Ruth the foreigner, the widow of Malone. I'll take her as my wife and keep the name of the deceased alive along with his inheritance. The memory and reputation of the deceased is not going to disappear out of this family or from his hometown. To all of this, you are witnesses today. All the people in the town square that day, backing up the elders, said, yes, we are witnesses. May God make this woman who is coming into your household like Rachel and Leah, the two women who built the family of Israel. May God make you a pillar in Ephrathah and famous in Bethlehem. With the children God gives you from this young woman, may your family rival the family of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Boaz married Ruth. She became his wife. Boaz slept with her. By God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town women said to Naomi, Blessed be God. He didn't leave you without family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. He'll make you young again. He'll take care of you in old age. And this daughter-in-law who's brought him into the world and loves you so much. Why, she's worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms, cuddling him and cooing over him, waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy. But his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. This is the family tree of Perez. Perez had Hezron. Hezron had Ram. Ram had Aminadab. Aminadab had Nashon. Nashon had Salmon. Salmon had Boaz. Boaz had Obed. Obed had Jesse. Jesse had David. And that's the book of Ruth.
We have a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, so we were serious about wanting to, to hear from you. So, so here's how I think we're going to do it. If you could just turn to someone um, that's nearby, just one person or two other people, and just share a few thoughts, things, em emotions that rise to the surface, or ideas or themes, or things that surprised you, things that you're thinking about. Just, just take 30 seconds or so each and, and share those. On online, you guys can jump on the chat together yes. and type some things to each other. Mm -hmm. use that handkerchief. <laughs> I think we could give it two or three minutes. Oh, these are on. All right, everybody, just uh, take a moment more. Uh, if somebody in your group hasn't shared a thought, Good. And we'd love, we'd love if a few brave people um, might be willing to um, share some of what came up in your group. Yes. Just shout it out. Just shout it out, and we'll repeat it if we need to. This is the first story that appealed to you as a woman in the Bible. Thank you. You resonated with this story because of your own personal history and experience of feeling vulnerable. And having a redeemer. And having, a, having redemption. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes, Kelly, hi. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. You guys, I mean, I, I've read, never heard Ruth. I mean, I've heard of Ruth. I never really heard the Bible part of it. You guys, I did not know. You didn't know about the shoe signature thing. Yeah, I didn't know about the shoe. And then, man, her being sneaky. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So Thank both you. of them had plans. Both. I love that you noticed that both Ruth uh, and Naomi and Boaz had plans. Yeah. And we want to. I think Here. we've got someone else. Adrian, did you want to say something? Yes. Mm. Great. So just to repeat, everyone in the story has generosity, courage, kindness, and patience, and, um, and um, yeah, thank you. I think, 
the, the gleaning stuff is super interesting. We're likely to talk about that in the coming weeks because it's an interesting practice. It's an interesting take on charity as a concept. I think there, the way that Boaz did it, I, in my reading of it, is an attempt to be empowering because it's like he's not, he gives her stuff whenever he can, but it's always a reason. It's not just just charity. It's like, hey, you're here working. Here's some food since you're here. Hey, you're here. Like, yeah, and then like letting her do the work of gleaning, but making sure there's plenty there for it so that it feels like something that you worked for that was left behind as opposed to just handouts or something. Yeah. I think it's and really he interesting. And so he offers her dignity at every moment. Yeah. yeah. Cheryl. And then I oh, did I? Did, go ahead with Cheryl, and then I think you've got something. Yeah. Did you? No? Okay. Go ahead, Cheryl. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's good. They just to repeat for the stream. They li- they listened. Every one of the characters listened, and you described it to what we would call the spirit, and then they received. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I really love, this is, when Jeff and I, Jeff asked us to look in on this months ago, and the first thing that struck me from my very first read is that there are kind of no bad guys in the story. It's a lot of people acting, like, faithfully, a lot of people making um, free choices. Like, in my mind, Orpa, the other um, daughter-in-law who decides to go back to her people, that was okay. That was not against the will of God for no. her to do that. Um, and that uh, there's enough sort of natural uh, uh, struggle between famine and death for them to, to struggle with that, that it, uh, all the characters can be faithful and pursuing good. Yes. Pursuing God. Yeah. Yes. That's beauty. Uh, beauty from ashes, um, cho- uh, choosing the unchosen um, to, to tell his story. Yeah, when you look at the, the meta, so we're talking about the, the whole genealogy of Jesus. There's all of these stories, and it's remarkable. There's all of these outsiders and foreigners who are woven in as though diversity were to make us stronger in some way, and it's a part of the story of That's God. Right. Do we have time for one or two oh, more? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. There's actually this really great element in the story. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. And then the text says, and so Naomi was back. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like, we're not giving you we're that name. Get, you're not ta- <laughs> you we're can not take get, it, but... Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and call you Naomi. I do think, though... But I, yes, I, that's right. Um, I, I like, Kevin, I like that part because 
we see that she is very angry and vocally angry with yes. God, um, but we don't have a sense of any condemnation. And there's no. a sense in which you can see her faithfulness returning to her, like her people and her place and her God. She's just going to go and be mad at God with God sort of thing as opposed to curse God and die or something like that. So we can see some of the sort of Job-esque faithfulness right. there for those who know that story. Is there one more person who wants to lift up something they were thinking about? So just to lift that up, yeah. uh, that uh, two desolations add up to a consolation in the story, um, and um, that the the element of shame, you know, I'm, I'm left alone, I haven't had children, I don't have anything left, um, is transformed in the story. Um, that's right. Thank you. Well, thank you guys um, so much. We, we will uh, continue. Um, with the series going forward, we'll onboard some of your thoughts. We'll share the things that we've been meditating on. Um, I am really interested also in, this is in the time of the Judges, and we have the book of Judges, which has all these little pop stories that are very, very short, uh, some of them a little bit longer, but this is such a big chunk, and it's so, the, the canonizers, the people who put the Old Testament together, decided that this story was important enough to be in, even though it's this odd little tale, and to take a bunch of time up. So I'm excited to take some more time up with it, with you guys together. I wanted to share a little additional scripture for you, because, you know, I grew up Baptist, and if there's anything Baptists have, it's life application uh, in their sermons. And so I was just like, what are we going to do? And so this is what we've got for you. I want to read from Isaiah. This is Isaiah uh, 55, 10 through 11, sticking with the message for today. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing a seed for farmers and food for the hungry. And this is the Lord speaking. So will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I give them. This says the Lord. You guys have heard a part of God's story today, a part of the story of the genealogy of Jesus, a part of the scripture. We've shared thoughts together, and I would encourage you as you go through your week to allow that story and the things said to sink in, to see if you find resonance in your life as you go through your week this week. Read it. It takes like half the time it took us to read it out loud to read it, unless you read slow. That's up to you, I guess. But um, You could read other versions if you feel like yeah. it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's lots of or them. It's always worth uh, revisiting the, um, the Eugene Peterson's message, uh, which he literally begins with Once Upon a Time because yeah. he notices the almost fairy tale like structure of the piece. Will you stand? Uh, Annie, you can come on up. We're going to celebrate... Uh, communion together. Um, you know, as we talk about joining and telling the story of Jesus, 
this sacrament is an incredible joining sacrament. It is a, a sacrament that is about joining in the body and blood of Jesus. Christians through the ages have seen that in all manner of different literal, metaphorical, and other fancy words <laughs> for what it means to be joined. But it definitely is about joining in Jesus in the body and blood. And it's definitely in that joining we join together with the church historical and the church global. There are millions of us and billions through time who join in this together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup, uh, the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Drink. You are, along with Jesus and your brothers and sisters, forgiven, beloved, and precious. God bless you guys. We got one more. Uh, let's have the prayer team come up. If you'd like prayer for anything today, anything at all, you can come and get prayer from prayer folks around the sides of the room. Um, take your time and listen. See if there's something that God is prompting you to get prayer for today.